Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. All right, go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to Song of Solomon chapter 1 for me this morning. We are in part five of a series, and we're going to wrap this up next week, but it's been, I think it's been a great series. I, I've enjoyed uh, studying it and sharing it with you. I, I've, I've had to look at the information, apply it to my life, and it's been challenging in places and times, but I know ultimately it's for our good. The Word of God helps us grow, amen? And so again, the ground rules for this series is this, that you don't look at your neighbor for anything that we talk about and say, "Uh uh-huh, see, did you hear that? No elbowing, pointing, this is for you, right? We don't try and change anybody else. We use the word of God applied to our life to change ourselves. And so I wanna encourage you in that. I also wanna let you know that One of our ground rules here is there is no condemnation. And so if you feel the enemy, uh, if you feel that you're condemned like this, this is where you are and where you always will be, that's the devil. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you're feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit, which is our prayer, he's bringing things up for a reason so you can deal with them and have freedom, amen, and move forward in him. As Jesus died, not only to forgive you of your sins, but cleanse you from unrighteousness and give you a clean slate. So Jesus makes all things new, amen? That's the good news. And so we can walk out of here uh, looking at uh, the things that we're talking about in the word of God and looking at them, let it filter into our life and so we can have a fresh start and walk out and make different choices and let God be glorified, amen? So those are the ground rules for the series. Um, I've enjoyed ministering it. Again, I have a chance to study and, and then deliver it a couple times to you guys, but I noticed online, if, well, let me just say this. If you've missed one, then you can go back and get a CD, either a dollar, I think, and then you can go online and listen to a podcast or watch an existing uh, or previous service online. And, and normally when I go back and look and see like how many people have viewed a particular service, we're looking at numbers like in 100 to 200 maybe, but this series, we're hitting numbers between four and five, even 600. And in fact, we had 600 views on March 1st. How many know which March 1st was? That's the one on sex, yeah. Over 653 views on that one, so. And they weren't all me. <laughs> I'm just telling you that. <laughs> so uh, anyways, but you can anytime go back and look at those and uh, revisit them or invite your friends. We'd like for you to invite people that you know, <clears throat> that you know this, the word of God will be a blessing to their life. And, and especially on this topic. And again, before we dive in, let me say this. I know that this topic is a very sensitive one, but it's very important. And if God puts it in the word, it's so we can talk about it. And, and the, the subject of the Song of Solomon basically is God's plan for intimacy and, and, and the process by which we walk through our life together with somebody. And so it is applicable for everyone. Take these principles and find ways to apply them to your life. But the church has been silent for way too long on things like this. And that's part of the reason why we have some of the problems we have. So the world has stepped in and had a louder voice and has become the quote unquote experts. And, and I wanna say this, I don't know how the world can be an expert on something God created and not use the word as its guide. And so there's a lot of perversion and twisted things out there and we see that every day in our world because uh, the world has had such a, a, a powerful, strong voice on this topic. It's time for the church to rise up and start speaking some things uh, according to the word of God so we can get the truth of it and apply it to our lives, amen? So you might, why, why talk about sex and stuff in church from the pulpit? Well, because your kids and you, you're hearing it all over everywhere. Turn on the TV, look at the magazines. The kids are hearing it in the locker rooms on the, on the playground or wherever that looks like. And so uh, wherever that is for your family. So we need to look at the word of God as God always intended. Um, again, I don't want to review. I want you to go back and get all that information uh, online or through a CD. But as you look at uh, chapter one, verse one, I, I do want to mention this. This is our foundational scripture, these three for our series. 
And it says this, Solomon's Song of Songs, and he's placing the importance on this particular book, the Song of Solomon. Song of Songs, he was a songwriter. He wrote over a thousand songs. And you can look in, I think First Kings will tell you, I think a thousand and five songs. And he's saying, this is the one. This is the Song of Songs. This is the, the best and most important one. And I don't think it's an accident that God chose uh, Solomon to write about intimacy according to God's plan when he's also the author of the, of the Book of Wisdom the wisest man on the planet. So we can take what he's saying and know that that is from God and a great wisdom for our life. And it goes on to say this in verse two, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. And what she is saying to Solomon before they even start dating and all that, she's saying, I'm watching your life and you look like someone who knows how to love people. It's not even has a, a sexual meaning to it. It's like, you look like you know how to love people. You love as God would love. And it's evident by how you're living your life. And it goes on to say this. <clears throat> Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. It's, you're living a life outwardly that's spreading among others. Everyone is seeing this. And your name or your reputation or what you're known for is like a perfume poured out. You're, you're known. Your reputation is that guy right there. He knows how to love people. And isn't that all our goal? I mean, we need to be the representation of God on the planet, and God is love, so our lives lived out in public need to be such that we're living it in a way that people will look at us and say, that person knows how to love like God loves. There must be a God in heaven. And so we'd be known for our love. Wasn't the Bible say that? We should be known for our love. How will they know them but for our love? Okay, no wonder the young women love you, and now she's talking about everybody sees that. That's why all the ladies want you, but you are mine, basically is what she's saying. So we want to look at our, uh, our, our, our story here, our passage, our principles, and apply them to our life in a way that will help us love as God loves and be known for that. Hey, listen, the church is known for a lot of things, right? Judgment, condemnation, guilt, all that kind of stuff. But God intended for the church to be known for love. Amen? And that's the greatest commandment, love one another. So uh, let's apply that to our life and let's live a life that represents the true nature of God. Um, We said this last week, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. So there's people all over the planet, you're not perfect, they're not perfect, but because we have God in us, we have the God capacity to love in every situation, even imperfect people. Uh, You know, in, in talking or setting you up for today's message, this story, as we continue to walk it out, is Solomon and, their, and his beloved later in life. They've been together for a while now. And week one, we talked about what attracted into each other. Week two, a biblical courtship, or we would maybe say dating. Week three, we talked about the honeymoon night in the private chamber, intimacy. And last week, week four, honeymoon was over. We talked about conflict or how to fight fair. And today, we're looking at their life later in life. And a lot of time has passed, a lot of challenges, a lot of conflict has passed, and seeing how they can still love each other and then looking at principles to apply to our life. And then my wife and I next month will celebrate our 18th wedding anniversary. Amen. Thank you. Amen. We're excited. 18 years. We've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Amen. It is a lifelong journey. And so our later years should be better than our beginning years. And when we apply the things of God, our later years ought to draw us closer together, not push us farther apart. But it does take work. And so let me say this, we said it last week, that these things really are impossible without God being the center of your life. 
Because with God, as we sang earlier, all things are possible. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. You will need the power of God and the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life to do it. And aren't you glad that God gave that freely? So we want the, better, the, the later years to be uh, greater than the, than the beginning years. And so we need to apply these principles to our life. Uh, it doesn't get any easier, but hopefully we get a little wiser, more mature. And the title of today's message, we want, our, a, deep, we want a deeper love. And then it's possible. And so let's look at, again now, Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 1. Let's dive into this passage, chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Let me stop for a second. Now you realize, or if you're a visitor today, um, you really need to go back and and listen to the other messages. But this book is an allegory. It is a book of... um, I don't know, pictures, and so uh, some kind of poem, poetry type things. And so the wording back in that day was easily understood to everybody. And we're going to take some time to go, and I've done some legwork for you. Huh? No, I'm just kidding. All right, beautiful carved leg. All right, okay, bad. Okay, okay, okay. Show me some love. Show me some love. Okay, anyway, so gone back, done some work for you, helping you understand these principles, because really these are beautiful pictures when you understand them. Now, verse 2, let me read verse 2 for you. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. I'm going to do my best to explain that one. And your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. A mound of wheat. Now, let me say this. This morning, I said your waist is a mound of meat, accidentally. (laughs) And they all thought that was rather funny. And um, one person came up to me after service and said that, that just cracked him up. I said, your waist, your your belly is like a mound of meat. And her husband leaned over her and said, yours is a brisket, baby, and it's all good. (laughs) another person came up to me and say, you know, thank you for sharing and clarifying that one, the mound of wheat, because I didn't know exactly what that meant, but it just made me think that her belly was really hairy. <laughs> That's gross. I thought that was gross, and the other one was funny, but we're going to try and explain some of that to you this morning, because they really are beautiful pictures, but <laughs> let me say this after those two scriptures. This is one of the, way, one of the reasons why we know they've been married a long time. <laughs> because anybody who can say to his wife that her belly is a mound of anything had to have been married for quite some time, right? I'm just honest with you. And so uh, let's look and see what exactly he's talking about. And let me first say this. Again, this is later in life for him, And we see a maturing, deeper love here than when they first began. And so when we looked at chapter four, verse one, they were headed to the honeymoon. They just had gotten married and it was the private chamber. And then Solomon began to describe her from the head down. You remember he started, he started top of her head, the hair and worked his way down. Now what you see here years later, Solomon is starting from the bottom, from the feet and working his way up. And he's valuing things. Now, honestly, the feet, that's not a beautiful thing, right? I feet. I got a foot thing and they just freak me out. I don't know. I'm embarrassed to say that. But to be honest, you can ask my family, don't touch my feet. Don't look at my feet. Don't talk about my feet. It just weirds me out. And no, I don't want to touch theirs or rub theirs or anything like that. And why is it that women's feet are like ice cubes? It can be 110 outside. And when you climb in bed, she's going to slide them under you to warm them up. And they're like, those are frozen. Put some socks on. I said this first service, my, my daughters and my wife try and get me to go get a pedicure, and to me that would be torture. They're touching your feet constantly. How many men have ever had a pedicure in here? I can't believe you were brave enough to raise your hand. That time. I'm just talking about, I'm going to revoke your man card. I don't know what that is. So. Feet. Talking about the feet. 
What Solomon is doing is he's taking a part of her later in life that is seemingly ordinary and common and making it special and extraordinary. I would say that's a maturing love, amen? And he's talking about things about her again and expressing, I think, something again that, that we would not necessarily consider and yet because they've grown closer together over life, he's, he's expressing uh, you know, just uh, thoughts about them and how wonderful they are. And again, we can learn a lot from that for sure. And then uh, he goes on to talk about her, her leg. It says her, her leg's graceful like, like jewels. And what I want you to understand out of this is basically what he's talking about is, is the cur- her curves. Maybe this is where they get this. I don't know. But he's talking about her hips right here. In fact, if you uh, study that phrase out, it literally means the place where your thigh and, and hip meet or the hip joint where your thigh and joint meet. And obviously, if he's being romantic, then he's definitely gonna say the, the, the graceful curve of your legs as opposed that I love where your hip and thigh meet, <laughs> you know, or something like that. It's not very romantic. But understand what he's describing about her at this place in time is something very powerful because what he's referring back to is in the scripture in Genesis, you see where Jacob wrestled with God where he went that night and had a dream of angels ascending a ladder to the earth and he wanted more of God. So he said, God, I want more of you. Grabbed onto an angel and they wrestled for a while. And the Bible says that God touched him where? Where his thigh and hip meet at the joint. Touched him right there. And then after that moment, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And so what I believe Solomon is expressing here, because it's the same wording as that, as that moment in scripture, is this, that here we are later in life, and I love what you've become. You continue to become something more amazing, something better. And they're growing closer together in life. So even as he's discussing uh, these things like your, your feet, uh, uh, your sandal feet, and he talks about the hip joint, and he talks about the legs, he's basically saying, what you've become now to me is beautiful. It's beautiful. And you continue to evolve and, and come some, something special to my life. And again, you can hear the wording. And in fact, you can look at in verse one again, it says, oh, princess. He calls her princess. Well, uh, you know, back in, in the first um, week we studied uh, in verse four, where she thought that she was unlovely and ugly because she worked out in the field all day. So instead of being the person that works out in the field all day, now over time, he's seeing her as a princess. And so again, you see they're growing closer together as they're getting older. A deeper love is, is continuing to grow in their lives. And Solomon is expressing to you and I some ideas and talking about a deeper love and how that happens. In a lasting relationship, you need to grow to understand what he or she has become or becoming. And you need to speak to that. Not what you want them to be or what they were, amen? But what they're becoming. Uh, Solomon is expressing really here a deeper appreciation. Later on in life, I have a deeper appreciation for, for who you are. Isn't that really when, when Jacob had his name changed to Israel, what happened? There was an evolving, there's a deeper appreciation of, of what now he is becoming. And so Solomon is expressing a deeper appreciation. That's number one. What is really powerful about what he's saying is uh, through the course of time that I'm coming to uh, appreciate you even more. Now, now look at verse two, because we said we'll talk about that one. Let me explain that one to you. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine, and your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. I'm going to be very careful. It's a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Now understand, that's funny to us, and the picture we get, you know, is it cracks us up, but this is a really powerful phrase he's saying because there were two um, main harvest times in Israel, one in the spring, and it was the harvest of grapes 
from which wine come from. So in the spring, it was harvest time, and they harvested grapes from which wine came. The second harvest was in the fall, and it was the wheat harvest. And these were big deals in Israel, though the grape harvest and the wheat harvest. So what he's saying right here is the, the, the wine that never lacks, and a mound of wheat. What he's saying here is any time of the day, night, month, year, springtime, fall, harvest time, you are enough. You satisfy me. The wine never runs out and there's always an abundance of wheat. And what he's saying is you satisfy me fully. Everything about you satisfies me fully. And that's what Solomon's expressing to him. He says this, you satisfy me. You are enough in every season you are more than enough. I just want to encourage you husbands, your wives need to know that she is enough in your life. She needs to know that, you, that she satisfies you. She fulfills you. And wives, your husband need to know that he's enough and that he satisfies you and he fulfills you. Our spouses need to know that we're satisfied by them every month, every day, every week, every season that they are enough. And I believe that's what Solomon is expressing to his wife here later on in life. There's a deeper appreciation. Let's take a look at verse three. Song of Solomon, verse three. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. And so back in chapter four on March 1st, when we studied that, um, it is exactly what you think it is. But he's talking about, in a way, on the honeymoon night, he's talking about her there. And he worked his way from the head down, coming the other way this time. And basically is what he's saying, here we are later in life. We've been through many conflict, many trials, many struggles. And he's using the same imagery as he did on the night of the honeymoon. I mean, think about that for a minute. Because we all know over time things change, don't they? We can't help it. We can't stop it sometimes. But over time, things change. But not in his eyes. He's expressing things are just as they were our first night. And, and I love that about him. And he's, again, expressing in the same language with things that happened on the honeymoon night. And what he's saying here to her is that he, she has an enduring beauty in his eyes. That we may have experienced all the things that come and happen with time. But honey, you're still the same to me. There's an enduring beauty about you. You satisfy me in every way and you are enough. And in fact, everything about you, your beauty has endured the course of time. All our struggles, all our conflicts. And he's expressing it there. Now, verse four, he says this. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rabin. And your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. And again, what he's saying here, and we'll go back to chapter four again. In chapter four, the night of the honeymoon, he is working his way down. And he's looked at her neck and, and said that your neck is like the Tower of David. And it was made out of coarse stone. And it was covered with a thousand shields, uh, shields of warriors. And he was, he was expressing right then something strong and something regal and, and something noble on the night of the honeymoon. Now years have passed here and now he has the same opportunities. He's working his way up and he's talking to her a little differently. He has a deeper love. And so he's expressing things differently today based on the maturing of the relationship, based on them walking through with the principles of God, the tests and trials of time, and the things that normally we would look at and criticize over time, he's finding ways to express greatness and beauty in them. And so he says this, her neck is like an ivory tower, an ivory tower. And understand, ivory was, was very um, precious, very precious back then, it is today, more so today, but back then it was very precious, very treasured. It had great beauty. It was smooth and it was very beautiful. 
It had a great value to it. Uh, now, what is also interesting is not only does his wording now go from uh, strong and noble to beauty and smooth and, and talking about the value of it. You know, if you have ivory and you're making something out of ivory, understand what makes ivory so valuable is it has to be harvested by something living. Something has to give its life for it. <clears throat> In order to have ivory, there has, something has to die. That's just the truth of it. And so Solomon and all his wisdom speaks to us that to have a deeper love, something has to die. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. It's where it's no longer about you, but it's about the one God has joined you to. That later in life, we don't become more self-minded, we become more them-minded. He's saying in all these years with a deeper love and operating out of a deeper love, a maturing love, he says because our love is at a place that we've matured through conflict and we found resolution to it all, we've stayed together, we've put God the center of our life, we're applying these principles, and now he says because of that, you're even more beautiful than you were before, and he says this, in fact, I'm dying to myself because you're of such great value. In order to have ivory, something has to give his life. Well, I believe what Solomon is saying, it's not about me, it's about her. And he's saying that I am giving my life for you. You are what I'm laying my life down for. No longer about me. And it goes on to say this in verse four, uh, finishing up the scripture, eyes are the pools of Heshbon. <clears throat> the pools of Heshbon. Now the pools of Heshbon. Now in chapter four, he said their eyes were like a dove, innocent and full of energy, excitement, now he's talking about her eyes being the pools of Heshbon. The pools of Heshbon were a place a little outside of the city that they are actually reservoirs, man-made reservoirs, that the pools would be dug out of, out of the stone and they would collect water. Now the water that filled the pools of Heshbon were from an underground spring, and so they were crystal clear. It's what kept the, the pools full. Uh, so you could look at the water and you could see clear to the bottom. And in another, uh, you'll see if you study that out, it says that they are fish pools and there'd be fish and you could see the fish. But one of the characteristics of the pools of Heshbon, not only were they man-made, they were dug over time um, to hold water, uh, they also were very clear, crystal clear, and very calm. It wasn't like a running river. And so they'd also be referred to as reflective pools. And so understand this for a moment. When Solomon's looking into her eyes this time, after years of conflict and challenges, years of putting God the centerpiece, working through everything in a godly way, their love maturing, now he's looking into her eyes and he is seeing a reflection. Now when you see a reflection, you don't see that person, do you? Now understand this, what he's saying is, I'm looking into your eyes like the pools of Heshbon, which are reflecting pools. I'm looking into your eyes and what I'm seeing back is a reflection of me and what I've invested in you. I mean, you need to get that. When we look in our spouse's eyes over years, sometimes some people may say that you look tired. You look hurt. You look angry. You look bitter. Come on. And you know what? And people want to say, you need to get over that. You need to change that. You need to work on that. And so here's a hard statement for me. It's a reflection of what you've invested in your spouse. I mean, that's a, I, hey, I'm with you on that one, okay? So I, I need to make changes. And from this point forward, I need to make changes. Let God take care of that. Jesus takes care of the past. I'm going to make better choices in the future. But understand this, when he's looking at her eyes years later in a maturing relationship, a deeper love is happening because they're applying the principles of God. Not because everything's perfect, because last week we studied the first fight, the first fight, not the only fight. 
And he's saying, when I look in your eyes, I see peace and I see calm. I see different things. And it's because of the investment that he's made. And boy, if we will learn that one this morning. Listen, when you look back in your spouse's eyes, his or her eyes, that you're seeing a reflection of what you've invested in them over time. And we have choices that we make along the way, and thank goodness that God gives us a new start, makes all things new. So today we can leave, amen, with making some different choices. But understand, this is what Solomon's saying. He's looking into her eyes, and it really is a reflection of what he's invested. If she's happy, if she's sad, if she's stressed, is there peace, is there hurt, is there wholeness, is there tiredness, is there refreshed? And that's not a, a condemning thing for us. It's something to say, let's make a change then if we need to do that so we can see something different reflected. But your relationship uh, will reflect in her eyes and your eyes as well. And in a maturing love, a deepening love, we need to see that. And so we see that expressed here in the pools of Heshbon. And then really, if you understand the pools of Heshbon, if you study it, and I did, you study it, it really was like a spa. I mean, it wasn't like hot springs, like you'd go and sit in the hot water, all that kind of stuff. But what people would do, they would go there because it was so clear and was so calm, it was so peaceful, that they would go there and get into the pools of Heshbon and just relax. Escape the world, escape the stresses and pressures of life, escape being a king and running a country. And he would go to the pools and they would sit in the pools and just relax. It really was like a spa. And when I believe that Solomon looks at his beloved and says, your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon, I believe also what it's saying to you and I is really his relationship with her. She's like a spa to him. In our relationships, the other person in our relationship as we're looking and applying godly principles and with God's help through the power of the Holy Spirit, walking our life out, not in perfection, but in repentance and openness and transparency to God, then our relationship should be a spot to us, or in a sense, that's where we go for calm. That's where we go for peace. Come on, we ought to be able to go to our spouses and find peace and safety there and, and find refreshing there and, and find that we can come and just relax and escape all the stresses, all the pressure, but yet we find ourselves probably running from them or somewhere else and we're finding the spa in the bar. We're finding the spa of some small other places, but if we will reverse our mindset and start applying some of these principles, we can find the freedom uh, that, that only God and the power of the Holy Spirit can bring to find our spa, if you will, and our relationship with our spouse, especially as we grow and mature through life, just making different choices. We gotta understand what he's saying here and apply these things to our life. And so our relationship should be our place of peace, our place of refreshing, where we go to rest. We should find that in each other. Our relationship should be that place. And it's not, um, and it's not just don't blame them, but take a moment to see what you're investing there. It might be a reflection of what we're putting in. And, and that expresses a deeper need, number two, a deeper need. As love deepens and matures, we develop a deeper need for one another. Not less of a need, but a deeper need. Should be drawn closer together. Now understand, over time, needs change. Needs aren't the same as you get older, right? And those that have been married for a while, amen, pastored on. Needs change as you get older, and, and they'll continue to change. You'll evolve, your needs will evolve. And God has to be the center of all that, so we have his wisdom, we have his word, the principles supply to our life. And, and now listen, this deeper need is huge because as we progress and we change, then our spouse will come because their changes of need, needs have changed. So she'll come to me, my spouse will come to me with something, a deeper need in her because she's changed and evolved. And maybe I've gotten equipped or found a way to address the needs that she has. But all of a sudden, as you get older, you have changing needs and she may come to me and I may open up the cupboard and say, oops, I don't have that one on the shelf. 
And then our tendency would be to go to her and say, you're just gonna have to go to God for that one, honey. And, but you know what the scripture is, what Solomon's saying is that you take that and then you go to God. And that's how God intended. And you go, God, my spouse is changing needs now, and I'm sorry, but the cupboard is bare. How can you help me? How can you be the center of it all and help me understand what that need is and give me the tools and equip me with that? And then I take that, and then I go then, and I give it and share it to my wife. Amen? And same with my, my wife to me. But so many times they're saying, you have to find that from God. And God's saying, that's why I put your spouse there for. She's a spa. He's a spa to you. He's that place. There's a deeper need. So what you do is you take that need, you go to God, and you get it, and then you come and bring it back. And that's what Solomon's saying. Hey, over time, we've had our troubles, but as needs have evolved, we've understand God has to be the sinner, and we're not telling him, that's your problem. You go there. I'm going to God to get what you need, and I'm bringing it back to you, and it creates a deeper love, a maturing love. And so it's something that we have to work on. And with the benefit and the result of that is amazing, as we'll see, and we need to go to God and bring back what they need. So verse 5 says this. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like, a royal, is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. Again, he's working his way up. The king is held captive by its tresses. Mount Carmel is a place where it was just off the Mediterranean coast. It was a beautiful place. It had a lot of rain there, so it was very green, very fertile. It was really kind of a, a resort place, if you will. We'd look at it that way today. Just we'd go for the beauty of it all. It was one of the most beautiful places, in fact, in all of Israel. And here, what he's speaking to, when you see the word crown, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel, that, that crown, that royalty, he's speaking of who she is, not how she looks. Over time, what she's evolved into, he, he's honoring who she has become. He's honoring how she thinks. He's honoring how she looks at things. He's honoring how she carries herself. He's honoring her wisdom, her creativity. The crown that she wears speaks to who she is, not how she looks. And he's talking about the, the time and place that, that he's honoring and respecting that season of life and what she's grown into. And it talks about here, your hair is like a royal tapestry. A, a tapestry is like a work of art. If you look up tapestry, and I did, it is a, an intricate work of art. It's a picture. It tells something. It's very detailed. Now, now really what he's speaking to here is not to a physical beauty, but an inward beauty. He, he's showing respect for her and what she's become and, and, and who she is, the crown that speaks to all, uh, all she's become and, and that tapestry, that, that, that creativity. You're, 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 there's a lot more to you than I ever thought. I'm, I'm learning more and discovering more about you today. Uh, there's some intricate things I'm just now seeing in this beautiful picture, this tapestry. And it speaks to value. I'm valuing those things in you. In fact, as your relationship grows and matures, you develop a deeper respect, a deeper respect. Throughout life, through tests, trials, struggles, Solomon is expressing he has a growing and deeper respect for his spouse. Basically, he's saying there's a lot more to her than what is seen outwardly, but inwardly. And he's come to a place of deeper respect. In fact, and it says this in verse five, it says that the king is held captive by its tresses, by her hair, its tresses. And I had to look up that word tresses, but that word tresses speaks to layers. It speaks to like locks, long locks, the things that they would braid and take time to braid. And basically to me, it's saying that her layers of hair, there's a lot more to you than I ever knew and I'm discovering more about you every day. And basically what he's saying is I'm captivated by who you are and who you've become. I, I, wanna, I wanna love what you love. I, I, wanna, I wanna like what you like. And I'm going to spend time to find out what that is. 
He's saying, I'm captivated by the idea there's more than you that I ever knew. And so at this season of life, I want to dig in a little deeper and I want to find out more about your loves and wants and likes and desires. It's not all about mine. And he's saying, I'm held captive by the idea. I want to I know you and know and respect what you love and value. I want your, those things to be my things. I want to love and like and value what you value. A deeper respect. Let's look at chapter seven, verse six through nine. Keeping on with our story here. How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. Verse eight. I said, I'll climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. That's exactly what you think right there. You may your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples. Let me talk about this one for a moment. And again, what he's describing here in, in, as they have come to a, a deeper place of love, a greater maturity as years have gone by. He says, you're like a palm tree. I did a study on trees, different trees. Now, it was a while ago I did a message or maybe a series and I studied the palm tree out in it. And even now, going back to refresh my mind on some things, and I've seen palm trees. I think palm trees look cool and I always wonder how they get up there. And so there's a couple ways that they get up there. In fact, there's two ways. One is, and you'll read and see that people get up there, they put spikes on their feet, much like someone would climb a utility pole. You can see guys climb up those wood poles and whatever that looks like. And in fact, if you study it out, there's a lot of places, most places now have outlawed that. And the reason why is because when people climb the palm tree with spikes on them, they have no care or concern for the tree. They just want to get what they want. They're about getting the fruit at the top of the tree at the tree's expense. Now, again, it's been outlawed places. And the second way that people will do that is they'll get a, a belt of some sort and they'll tie something around their feet. They call it a platform and they'll take that belt and they'll reach up around the tree and embrace it tightly. And then they'll pick their feet up to a level and then they'll stand on that. And then they'll reach up and embrace and pick their feet up to a level and then reach up and embrace. And I believe what, Song of so- what Solomon is saying here in this this particular scripture, uh, when he's talking about his beloved, it says we've matured in life. This isn't about me. This is about you. And this is about mutual satisfaction. In fact, we'll see that in just a moment. And he's, and he's talking about, I want to go to another level. And to go to another level with you, I need to embrace you in a greater capacity. And then I can go to that another level. I don't want to embrace you in a greater capacity. I don't go to another level. I have great care and concern for you and not just for me. And so he's talking about this in a sense of going to another level by embracing in a greater capacity. He says, I'll climb that palm tree and I'll take hold of its fruit. Embrace the tree and move to another level. Solomon's talking about physical relationship later in life and he's talking about a deeper intimacy. Number four, a deeper intimacy. How can we embrace one another? How can we be sensitive to one another? Or to the other's needs. How can we do that? How can we keep climbing to another level? And well, one of the ways is by asking, what satisfies you? What, what, what makes, them, makes them pleased? And make that your highest priority. To take the time to embrace what satisfies them and climb to that another level of intimacy. That's basically what Solomon's saying. And over time, he's saying, I've learned more and more to take my time in doing that and to be sensitive to the other person. And he goes on to say this. Let's look at verse eight. I said, I'll climb the palm tree. I'll take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples. The next verse. And your mouth like the best wine. Now that's all Solomon speaking right there. And he says, your mouth like the best wine. Now understand in the scripture, wine represents joy. It represents pleasure. It represents a celebration. 
See, basically he's saying as we embrace and we go to the next level, we're gonna experience greater joy, greater pleasure. We'll celebrate each other. But this isn't just a one-way street because he's talking about the wine and experiencing the wine uh, through embracing and going to another levels and being concerned and being of great care. And then she starts speaking uh, here. That that first line in verse nine is Solomon. Then she picks it up right here. So now here's what she says. May the wine go straight to my beloved flowing gently over his lips and teeth. Now, so she's saying, may you experience great joy and great pleasure and great celebration in our time together. She's basically saying, "I I want all of me to go to all of you and all of you to go to all of me. I want everything I am to be yours and everything you are to be mine. I want you to be satisfied by me. I want to be satisfied by you. I want you to have it all and joy and pleasure and celebration. And I want to, see, it's a two-way street. They're talking about it here. They both want the wine. (laughs) They both want the joy, the pleasure, and the celebration. And they're both giving themselves to each other that way. And remember, again, it's not just one-sided about one. It's also about the other. So what she's saying is she wants his satisfaction and he wants her satisfaction. I want all of it to go to him and I want all he has for me. And let's keep going. Verse 11. I'm sorry. Yeah, 10. I'm sorry. There you go. 10. Good. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. So he's just, just expressing love again and their mutual desire to please the other. And he goes on to this in verse 11 now. Come, my beloved. Now listen to this. Come, my beloved. Let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. So let's get out of the house. Let's get out of the castle. Let's go out in the countryside, spend the night. Let us go early. Let's get up early in the morning, go to the vineyards and see if the vines have budded and if their blossoms have opened up and if the pomegranates are in bloom. Now listen to this last phrase. There I will give you my love. So let's leave the castle. Let's get out. Let's go on a date somewhere. Let's get out of town together. Let's go to the countryside. Then let's get up in the morning and go into the park. Let's go to the park and see how beautiful it is. And there I'll give my love to you. And let me just say, if you did that today, you'd get arrested. Okay. <laughs> this is exactly what you think it is. Exactly. You can't do that. you get arrested today, but you can find other ways <laughs> to do that, right? Still get out of town. But understand this, what she's saying is even though we've been married a long time, even though we've had our challenges, even though we have fought, even though we've been selfish over time, we have still chosen to, be, to make an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. We have chosen to apply the principles and things of God because it's only by the power of God that we're able to do this. And in doing so, our, better year, our, our later years can be better than our earlier years. Like we're not done loving each other here. And just because we have gotten older, it may look different, but our love can mature. I can have a deeper appreciation for who you are. Uh, And we have deeper needs and we'll understand those and take them to God and find our answers. And and we'll have a a, a deeper, um, I just lost my third point, help me out somebody. (laughs) Is anybody listening? I mean, I just went through four points there. Are you writing them down? What is that? I just, it totally lost the anointing right there. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Deeper respect. Thank you. Deeper respect and a deeper intimacy. But you understand where I'm going, right? Like, uh, applying these things and growing and maturing in God during that process or in that process. Basically what she's saying, and we'll finish up this, the passage in just a moment. She's saying, our best years are ahead. Our best years are ahead. We're just still learning about each other. And with God's help, we can grow in, in, in a deeper love one with another where in 
times when people get older, they, they just kind of lose touch with each other and they don't know what to do with each other. And then it's kind of marriage out of convenience or, or whatever that looks like. But, but what she's saying is there's a way, what he's saying is there's a way that it can be better in our later years than ever, than what we've ever experienced. And so I believe that's God's plan again for you and I. And, and, and if that's not what you've walked out, again, let him take that away. Let Jesus take away the past and let's start fresh and new here. That's the good part of the message. We're not done, she says. It's not over. We have more love to give and to experience. In fact, let me finish out the passage now. Let us go early to the vineyards and see if the vines have budded, if the blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom there, I will give my love to you. Next verse. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at every door, and at our door, rather, is every delicacy, anything we could want, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. And listen to the wording there. And the mandrakes were the flower that bloomed at certain times and had this really uh, wonderful smell and fragrance to it. Every delicacy at our door, every delicacy, anything that we could want, both new and old. We don't have to stop doing some things because we're getting older. We can experience all of it. Why? Because we have a deeper love with the help of God and our days of getting older can be even greater than our days when we first began. And what Solomon has showed us as years have passed in this passage of scripture, that we can have a maturing love for one another. It's gonna take work for sure. And it's impossible without God's help. And it's gonna take work with God's help. But with God, all things are possible, amen. And again, we can let Jesus, let's just let Jesus take care of the past. Let's let him take all that away from us. Let's ask for forgiveness for that or what that looks like. And let's embrace the new from this point forward. Let's make different choices as we walk out. Let's apply these principles to our lives and let our years ahead of us be better than our years behind us. Because God is a good God. And in fact, he's the expert. And so as long as we look to him and apply those principles, we will have our fights, we will have our struggles, but as long as we are committed to the relationship, right? We have unconditional love to an imperfect person and we trust God and do what we need to do to change ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience the greater things that God has for us in the future that they're yet to come. I know God is a good and faithful God. Let's all stand to our feet. Amen. My hope... My hope, my heart in this and talking about this in church is to be able to share the truth of God's word so that it can be applied to life. And it may have been uncomfortable, it may have been uneasy, and I understand, it is, believe me, it is for me to stand up here and share it. I got my mom on the front row and my daughter, so I'm going to talk about that, okay? But it is so important for us to understand God's plan because we've been so infiltrated by the world and God intended our relationships to be powerful and intimate and wonderful and holy. And if we'll follow his principles, they'll be better than anything the world could express that they would be. And sure, the world is making a big deal about all these things and how great and grandiose it is, but it leaves you broken and leaves you hurting and will lead you to destruction because only the creator can get you what he intended for you to have and for this to be in life, which is greater than anything this world has to offer. But aren't you glad that Jesus came to make all things new? Wipe the slate clean. Let the past be the past. Start fresh. Make different choices. And when we slip and fall, and we will, then we'd be quick to repent, the Bible says, and allow him to cleanse us from unrighteousness. I know this. God is for you. He's not against you. And he'll do anything, has done anything and everything he possibly can to equip you and get the tools you need. You just need to take it and apply it to life. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. 
we'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.